Are you a Mexican or a Mexicant? Okay, hey, and we are live. Welcome back, everyone, to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam Charrington here with Will Morey. As always. We are talking this week about Once Upon a Time in Mexico from 2003, filmed in 2001, but just needed a lot of time in the oven, apparently. Uh, Will, this was your pick. And uh, I'm going to say right off the bat, uh, I once read online that there are four types of dogs. There's doot doots, critters, angels, and sloppy babies. <laughs> what kind of dog do you think this movie is, Will? Oh, this is 100% a sloppy baby. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I had forgotten just how many subplots this movie just packs into 90 minutes. Yes. And how many plot twists and double crosses and triple crosses. <laughs> so I guess before we jump into it, can you explain to me the plot of this movie and more importantly, what it is uh, the CIA agent Sands wants? What is his goal? Um, well... <laughs> The filmmaker's goal is clearly to make you think he is so cool. He's just so cool, man. (laughs) And the fact that he looks and dresses like Robert Rodriguez probably has nothing to do with it. Oh, my God. I'd never noticed that before. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, it, it, the, God, the, the cowboy hat and the and shorts the, and, and the, the shorts and the weird T-shirts. Yeah. And... Oh. So uh, speaking of Robert Rodriguez, we'll wind the clock back here uh, to 1992. Uh, Robert Rodriguez is a young filmmaker and he makes a movie called El Mariachi uh, for about seven thousand dollars. And it's a action movie very stylish uh action uh very stylishly edited uh action comedy i would call it on a certain level it's a tale of mistaken identity in a small mexican town poor guitar player runs afoul of the cartel and basically is forced to become the man with no name yeah it's a tremendous hit uh it's it's one of those classic made for pocket change uh indie movies that becomes a huge smash and launches Robert Rodriguez's career as a writer and director uh, through the 90s into the 2000s and into today. Uh, He followed it up in 1995 with Desperado, which is essentially a sequel to El Mariachi, but it is also, it's the Evil Dead 2 to El Mariachi's Evil Dead. It's, it's It's almost a remake in a way. Yeah, it's Antonio Banderas, it's got a big all star cast, it's, uh, it's got a crazy good soundtrack it's it's he's got the budget and the resources to make clearly the movie he wanted to make the first time not to say that el mariachi is bad el mariachi is actually really good uh but it's you know it's el mariachi with all the you know style and flair to make it as polished as possible uh that propels him even further into you know directorial stardom he's sort of on a par with quentin tarantino for a while after desperado he does uh, from dusk till dawn which is with, with Quentin Tarantino, which is a Quentin Tarantino that halfway through becomes a Robert Rodriguez vampire <laughs> movie. Really fun movie. He does uh, the faculty after that, which is Kevin Williamson's uh, script. That's uh, 
Breakfast Club meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, also a really fun movie. Very underrated, I think. I think. Very underrated. Yeah. I think those those three are kind of what I would say are the the definitive uh, Desperado from Dust Till Dawn and the faculty would be. I'd call that that's that's definitive Rodriguez canon. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, in the early 2000s, he has kind of a surprise hit with uh, Spy Kids. Uh, very weird, like. I don't even know how to describe Spy Kids. Weird 80s throwback, like creepy kids action movie. It's like an Amblin. If it's like an Amblin movie, did a James Bond movie directed by Tim Burton. I think of it like a kind of like that uh, live action version of The Witches. It's just kind of a weird <laughs> kids James Bond nightmare. Uh, yeah, yeah, but kind of a surprise hit. Really critically well received. And then the next movie that he makes that comes that comes out is Spy Kids 2. But in the in that little in between time, he gets a very small amount of time and I think a smallish amount of money to make Once Upon a Time in Mexico. His third El Mariachi movie his the good, the bad and the ugly, essentially. But it's obviously a movie where he intended this it to be this much bigger expansive ensemble action epic and you know it's uh it, it it just kind of falls apart under the weight of everything it's trying to do and it just it's it, i it's it's a movie that feels like he as a filmmaker and the script both are spread like way too thin yeah i mean it's it's interesting cuz this once upon a time in Mexico was sort of the first one he did uh, all digitally, wasn't yeah. it? Like, and so that it, that's part of it too. It feels like a tech exercise in a lot of ways, and sort of being like, "Well, I can make a big budget action movie with these, you know, like these cameras." And and for the most part, I think the movie looks pretty good. There are some moments where it's like, "Oh yeah, this is very very digital." Yeah, um, it, it, I think the story is he went and visited George Lucas on the set of Attack of the Clones, and Attack of the Clones right. was famously Lucas was filming all that all in digital. But there's a bit of a difference in the kind of movie this is versus the kind of movie Attack of the Clones is, <laughs> where, you know, there's a lot, everything in that is digital. You know, right. the sets are digital, pretty much everything but the main actors is a digital creation. And so you can kind of polish over the the seams of this early 2000s digital look. So there are, yeah, like you said, there's some moments in this movie that just straight up look like they were shot on video. Yeah. When things are moving too fast, that's when it's like it looks so it looks so just processed and yeah. digital and video. Like when when characters are running too fast or the camera moves too fast or somebody goes flying out of frame, you're like, oh, okay, this is this looks like it was made with a prosumer camera. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, a lot of filmmakers had their like romance with digital and made movies where it looks great and then movies where it doesn't look great. Like, uh, you know, for Michael Mann, for every, for yeah. my, Michael Mann, yeah. for every collateral, <laughs> he made a uh, public enemies, which looks like a history channel reenactment of gangster movies. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. also starring Johnny Depp. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Will, you asked me what the plot of this movie is. And that's like asking me, what is, what is the, what is one bagel bite in a box of 12 taste like? There's <laughs> This is movie's only a hundred minutes long, and it has so many characters in it, 
and none of them are El Mariachi. <laughs> Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek take up two-thirds of the poster, and they probably are collectively in about 25% of the movie. Yeah, I guess. I mean, El Mariachi gets some really cool action scenes. I guess that's uh, that's worth something. He gets a big, you know, motorcycle chase, and you're shaking your head and I mean, crying I, heavily. No, <laughs> I just uh, uh, the the action sequence in in this movie didn't really impress me all that much. That was a big thing. Is that I think they 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 lacked the the grit of the first movie. And the flair of the second movie, like they felt really rough around the edges, but not in that super low budget, charming way that you get with right. something like El Mariachi. Well, it's it kind of it's in, sort of indicative of the movie as a whole, because it's like, oh, it would be like, oh, I'm having fun with this. And then something would happen where I would get confused as to what was happening and who was where and and why they were doing it. And then I'd sort of lose my train of thought and the move, the action scene would be over. Um, and that's kind of how the movie felt to me, this watch anyway, where it's like, it, it'd go along and I'd be like, oh, I'm having fun. I'm kind of grooving to this. And then and then I'd be like, I don't understand what's happening. And I'd get confused. No, I mean, no one... <laughs> No one character in this ever has any room to breathe. No. It's uh like so all right, the plot. I, I, I think Johnny Depp <laughs> might break it down to Ava Mendez at some point what he's trying to do. I think ultimately he's just trying to get a bunch of money on his hands. But so El Mariachi, uh, at the end of Desperado, has confronted the cartel boss who is indirectly responsible for the death of his girlfriend in the first movie who also turned out to be his brother, his brother and killed him and has set aside his violent ways and rode off into the sunset with Salma Hayek, uh, Carolina, his, his, his girlfriend in this one. He's uh, now got uh, Carolina and him have a kid uh, and they run afoul of her ex-boyfriend, a bloodthirsty general named Marquez. <laughs> who she shoots in the chest with a shotgun. And by the next day he seems fine. And uh, ultimately he kills her and their daughter and leaves El Mariachi for dead. This is all conveyed in flashbacks throughout the movie. I should note. (laughs) So if you went into this movie thinking, Ooh, Salma Hayek's in this and she looks great and she's going to be fun and she's going to kick ass. No, no. She gets one scene where she throws some knives at people, yeah. which is kind of cool. It's but. cool, yeah. No, they. I remember they milked the bejesus out of that in her one chase scene in the, every trailer. Yeah. like, yeah. Uh, But she was perhaps for the best, I think, off doing Frida. You know, <laughs> probably deciding I only need, I should not commit myself to more than one uh, Harvey Weinstein project at a time. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so the movie proper begins with Johnny Depp as... FBI agent Sands and Mexico's his beat and he's just walking it. (laughs) And he is trying to facilitate a coup against the president of Mexico who seems like he's kind of an okay guy, but he's standing up to the cartels led by Barrio who is Willem Dafoe in brownface. For some reason. For reasons. (laughs) Um, 
and Barrio is bankrolling a coup against the president led and to, that would put Marquez in power. And Agent Sands wants El Mariachi to kill Marquez, but only after the president has been assassinated because he wants the coup, but he doesn't want Marquez in power. He's also going to take some money and run off with Eva Mendez, who plays a cop. Uh, he also an ATF agent, ATF think, right? agent, uh, yeah. or a, like a Mexican ATF, like a, feder- a federale, essentially. He also recruits Ruben Blades, who's a retired FBI agent who uh, Willem Dafoe killed his partner to help him do something. Uh, uh, that's that's essentially what uh, Johnny Depp's plan is. Uh, along the way, he uh, he while he's meddling in the uh, while he's uh, meddling in the affairs of state of the nation of Mexico, he's killing waitresses and chefs in cold blood, and he's uh, you know just being generally kind of a sleaze bag, threatening El Mariachi's life, having the other guitar makers in his village killed. Um, now, all of this would make you think that Johnny Depp's character is the villain here. But no, he's he's just so cool, dude. He's <laughs> because so... he turns into Zatoichi by the end of yeah, the movie. Yeah, <laughs> he's Zatoichi. He gets his eyes taken out, but he still can kick ass. And he's got a fake arm that he takes off and puts back on. He's so cool. And he ruins this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's because he's got his finger, the character has his fingers in everything, and Depp is just sort of, like, just acting strange. He's not even, like, making choices, he's just sort of being weird. Maybe he's just being Johnny Depp, I don't know. But Johnny Depp is so lucky this movie came out right after Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> where all of America was on board for weird Johnny Depp performances, like... <laughs> Like when Pirates of the Caribbean came out, no one really knew what the hell to expect from it. We all thought it was going to be terrible, but then Johnny Depp shows up in it and he's just doing this crazy character that kind of knocks the movie up a level in, in, in weirdness and fun. And he got an Oscar nomination for it. And that's what turned him into the eccentric, you know, uh, Keith Richards looking star he is today. (laughs) But Right after that, they snuck in a release of Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and it and it's very much a Johnny Depp's making choices. He's, <laughs> he's gonna put on a he's put on. We're gonna wear a lot of fake mustaches. Yeah, uh, he's gonna do I, a Marlon Brando impression for no reason at some point. Uh, oh God! Right? Oh my God! Oh, there's so much, so much, and there's so much of him in it. He's like he's like really the glue that holds the story together for better or worse <laughs> which is kind of why the, the kind of why the story doesn't hold together yeah uh, no I, this guy should be the villain because no. the first movie and the second movie the main villain is like the cartel guy right i think a great villain for el mariachi would be cia agent who manipulates him and the and el mariachi has to just not only not he's if you must do that his that he's lost his family again like, because that's how the second movie starts is after right. his girlfriend has been killed. If you're going to do that, it's him learning to fight for Mexico. Like at the end, they have yeah. this, suddenly he has this turn in the third act where he's like, the president is a good man. We are sons of Mexico. If that was it, if he becomes like the, the like a Mexican superhero, basically, I think that's a cool way to go. And it, can, and it yeah. can fit the epic scale of this because 
you know, the movie this that Robert Rodriguez compares this to, obviously, is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, the third Sergio right. Leone Man With No Name movie. But that movie's still pretty damn focused. It's right there in the title. It's only about three people. It's interesting that he compares it to that one and not uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is so much more big and epic and expansive and and sort of not all over the place, but there's so much going on in yeah, that movie. Yeah, but again... And it's also once, like almost three and a half hours long. <laughs> and Once Upon a Time in the West is also still only about four people. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's got a good, a bad, and, the, and an ugly and Claudia Cardinal. You know, it's... <laughs> This this movie has, in addition to sort of your stable of uh of like Robert Rodriguez regulars who show up in in sizable bit parts, your your Cheech Marin, your Danny Trejo, you've got Johnny Depp, you've got Antonio Banderas, you've got the promise, the idea, the whisper of Salma Hayek, you've got Ava Mendez, Ruben Blades, Mickey Rourke, uh, Willem Dafoe, General Marquez, the president, the president's aide. Um, <laughs> Right, there are like subplots within subplots the, in this movie. <laughs> Willem Dafoe's creepy plastic surgeon, uh, Doctor Dr. Guevara. That's right, there's a double switching plastic surgery subplot, and oh my god. <sighs> Will, this movie... It gave me a headache. I am so sorry. No. I am I, so sorry. I mean, I guess if I'm being honest, it's better than RoboCop 3. <laughs> like... It's, it, it, but it's, oh, and it, oh, Enrique Iglesias and, oh, the guy, yeah. and the guy from Cinema Paradiso or the other two mariachis in this. Uh, they definitely ran out of uh, weapons you can turn a guitar case into once they've turned it into a remote control car. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, no, it's, and I think ultimately my problem with the movie is that I th- and I'm guessing this is because he didn't have a ton of time and he didn't have a ton of resources. Robert Rodriguez is credited as just about everything on this. He yeah. edited it. He uh, it was shot, cut, shot, chopped and chopped, chopped and scored. Yes. And directed. <laughs> and he wrote the script. And the difference between that and Desperado is on in Desperado. He's not doing all of those things. Right. And it's not to say Robert Rodriguez can't do all those things. Like this movie is more than competently made. But Desperado has a different cinematographer and it has a different, it has Los Lobos doing the the score in this movie doesn't hold a candle to the Desperado soundtrack. Like this, like apart from the pistolero, like that was in all the trailers. Uh, This doesn't have that great soundtrack. It doesn't have like, you know, uh, it it relies on Malagueña as sort of a running score through it. So it's using sort of, you know, not original music and it's it's not shot and edited as crisply as desperado is like the editing is really choppy and all over the place and you can see the seams like in especially in the digital effects and the action stuff well it feels like the movie was also like three and a half hours long to begin with because there are just so many things happening and so many characters and none of them have any time to like do anything. They just sort of show up and it almost feels like, I think I had texted this to you, Sam. It almost feels like they're preparing to be either they walked in from a different movie or they're all getting ready for their television spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I know they did a from dusk till dawn TV series. This feels like the kind of characters you would introduce in a from dusk till dawn TV series when you have six, eight, nine episodes exactly. to really like build your world out. 
And right. it's like there's nothing that's there's no rule that says that the that Once Upon a Time in Mexico has to just be the revenge story for El Mariachi. I think just it still has to he still has to be the driving force. The thing right. with the man with no name as a character is he's still like in control. Like he's still the driving force of the plot. It's the first move. The first man with a fistful of dollars is Yojimbo. He why rides into town and he's playing two sides against each other. Uh, for a few dollars more, he teams up with another uh, bounty hunter, and that character is the one out for revenge. And he right. just sort of works with this guy to bring down a gang from the inside. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He's the good, and he has to face off against. He's competing with the bad and the ugly to find some buried gold. In the middle of the Civil War. So they run into all these characters in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly along their way. But the movie is really about him. About finding the gold. Yeah, yeah. and sort of the bond between him and Eli Wallach as right. as, as, uh, as Tuco. Uh, yeah. and, and, like, Lee Van Cleef is the villain, but he's just the villain in that. He's the bad. He doesn't have much to him. This, it's like, just, like, to follow Burrio's thread, and he's not even an essential character to this movie, He's a Mexican cart drug cartel boss, and he intends to uh, kill the president of Mexico, install General Marquez as a, as his replacement, while also faking his death in a faked plastic surgery related mishap, where he will in fact get a facelift and put in his place a body double that everyone will think was him murdered by the Federales. And then he will disappear and live, li lead a new life uh, while installing his daughter uh, as the head of his court, uh, his evil empire, uh, which leads to him running around for the last half hour of this movie looking like fucking Darkman for some reason. <laughs> That's it's what like, I have in my notes, too. <laughs> uh, okay, and, and again, you don't need Barrio in this at all. He doesn't... No. He, he never interacts with El Mariachi. He has no personal stake in things. Barrio and Marquez should have been one character. Right. And yeah. Agent Sands should have been the bad guy that is holding El Mariachi's family hostage or, th or holding his village hostage to uh, manipulate get him, him get, a, get him to do what he wants. There, that's a simple movie. There. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can, if you want, uh, like, you can have Ruben Blades and Mickey Rourke in there if you want, but you don't need and Mickey them. Rourke's Chihuahua. Hey, you know what? I honestly, I, I kind of thought I, Mickey Rourke, Ruben Blades, and Moko the Chihuahua all wandered in from like a better movie. <laughs> like they're all like, like they're all doing their, they're like Ruben Blades and, and Mickey Rourke are trying. They're like they trying are. to make no, like, they a, are. they're trying to do like a real movie in there. Yeah, it seems like they're making traffic in a way or like a, a silly version of traffic. Yeah. Kind of. Like <laughs> they're like just, you know, it, this movie's like the, maybe not coincidentally, kind of like the first season of Book of Boba Fett in that it's very yeah. distracted and doesn't seem to be at all interested in its main character. Yeah, and that's about right. Yeah. yeah, and the problem is Antonio Banderas is too charismatic to sideline as just kind of a block of wood. Like, yeah. every time he's given a chance to show a little flair, you're like, oh, he's Antonio Banderas. He's awesome. He's, he's super charming. I want to see him blow Agent Sand's head off, you know? Yeah, there are just so many. I just in my notes, I'm just like, how many plot twists? Another plot twist. Yeah. All right, another plot twist. Ava, Ava Mendez <laughs> is Johnny Depp's girlfriend on the down low, but she's also Willem Dafoe's daughter. 
and she go she has like the movie really falls apart right about when she has a heel turn and yeah. she and uh Barrio uh remove Johnny Depp's eyes for for no I didn't that was one of those things where it's like why did they do that I didn't remember I remembered that he lost his eyes I didn't remember why and it I realized why that was is cuz there's no reason for them to remove his eyes why didn't they just kill him yeah <laughs> just because he's followed by one of their guys who then immediately yeah. tries to kill him. Yeah. Like, in all the marketing, they had him on the poster and in all the trailers, him in his, like, black vest with his sunglasses, and he's got his black gloves and his guns. And in this, he's blind, and he's got this little kid that he's waylaid into. It's it's weird enough that it would be funny in another movie, but in this, it's like, like it is such a third act. Like, you're, yeah, you're, you're watching him get to the presidential palace for reasons we can't quite put a finger on while a bunch of faceless uh, soldiers and faceless day of the dead party goers have like a civil war in the background. (laughs) If you're having trouble following this episode of podcast part three, it's because we had trouble following this movie and I only watched it like two hours ago. (laughs) Oh boy. I mean, it almost feels like the, the, you know, like a lot of the John Woo Hong Kong movies have like these like ridiculous plots with so many like double crossing and things like that. And it kind of feels like that, but like cranked up to a thousand. Yeah. And it has like a lot of non sequiturs that, that don't really matter. Like El Mariachi gets captured by uh, Danny Trejo and then immediately escapes. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do. It does not factor in with the plot. El Mariachi never is face to face with either villain until the very last scene he's with Marquez and they, right. they interact. And he just kills him immediately. And almost. they've never interacted before, even in flashbacks, except shooting at each other. Yeah. It's, I mean, it almost feels like the amount of the amount of subplots and characters crammed into it is like supposed to be kind of a joke. Almost. It's supposed to be like sort of this, everything, but the kitchen sink, but the problem, and there's a way to do it so that it's actually kind of entertaining and i think rodriguez actually did this with planet terror you know is half of grindhouse where it's like the subplots are and on top of each other and characters on top of each other are kind of part of the fun and part of the joke but here it's just so hard to follow that you can't really kind of get into it and get into like the fun of it yeah uh he kind of does that with sin city as well and yeah but sin city also has that sort of anthology thing where it goes it has three different stories that it tells and the characters all kind of wander into each other's stories here and there the problem is with this is it's supposed to be following this one character like your 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 hero he's there but he's not really there like (laughs) this movie the opening sequence the movie starts with uh cheech marin and johnny depp talking and he's Cheech is telling him about el mariachi and carolina and general marquez she was with marquez but she was with el mariachi and they're talking about General Marquez like we should know who the fuck that is. And they're showing yeah. shots of him that are, like, from later in the movie, actually. And yeah. the whole thing's edited in a way at first where I'm like, did did Antonio Banderas die and they have to use what footage they've got? Or he, like, suddenly had a scheduling conflict and couldn't be part of the shoot or whatever? I, I don't know. It's... Compared to the opening sequence of De- Desperado, which is Steve Buscemi kind of doing the same thing, he's telling right. all the folks in a bar about El Mariachi coming in, and they do such a good job of building up Antonio Banderas 
uh, while still being like funny and and it's really well edited and Cheech is there too. Uh, this just feels like the whole, the, the energy is just it also doesn't help it's just johnny depp plays every scene anytime someone gives him information he's just kind of like whatever i don't <laughs> care i'm not interested yeah i know what l means thank you are you a mexican, mexican. or a mexican <laughs> danny trejo international treasure danny trejo has to look another man in the eye and receive that line with a straight face and then say earnestly back I'm a Mexican. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, um, and actually a lot of this, uh, this movie feels like kind of Robert Rodriguez's MO from here on out. Like a lot of his movies are just overstuffed, overcrammed. And, and because he is this one man band, no one is telling him slow your roll buddy let's let's cut down a subplot or two let's you know i mean it works in sin city because of the anthology format but like every other movie it's like just just crammed and stuffed yeah. to the gills with stuff like i'll say this for robert Rodriguez. the guy like he he's one of those guys from the 90s that made independent filmmaking and making movies on a low budget and the craft of filmmaking seem accessible to a lot of people. Like he's one of those guys that always did a really good job with Blu-ray or DVD releases and the special features and the behind the scenes stuff. He really cared about that, making that content, you know, informative and fun and something you'd want to watch. Like uh, Kevin Smith would be another example of that. Like Kevin Smith always had like really good commentaries and really good behind the scenes stuff you know, the Peter Jackson same way with the Lord right, of the Rings yeah. movies. Uh, but I, I, I watched a Penny Lane's documentary listening to Kenny G recently. Mm-hmm. And Kenny G is inarguably talented. Like he's, there's a reason he's so successful because he is incredibly talented, but because he found that success with that sound and that style, he's never chosen to, hone it or develop it or have it evolve he doesn't seem like a particularly curious musician about learning about the the craft and the genre of music he performs in uh and i would kind of equate uh, robert rodriguez to a kenny g of filmmaking (laughs) in that he inarguably is a guy with a style and a voice and uh you know he has these actors that come back and do every one of his roles but if you go back and watch this and like the first couple spy kids and you watch the stuff he's made more recently, they don't look all that different. They don't feel all that different. Whereas the guy he gets compared to the most Quentin Tarantino, whether you like his movies or not, absolutely has taken great pains to make his movies look better and better. And when they look worse, it's because he's lost a key piece of the team he's assembled. Tarantino always has great cinematographers. Obviously he always cares about, the quality of the score and the music. And he had one of the best editors in the business until Sally, until she passed away, Sally Menke. And uh, Rodriguez just doesn't seem to, I think he tends to spread himself too thin. And I think this is the beginning of that. And when he does it right after this, you get something like Sin City, but it only takes a nudge for it to become Sin City, a dame to kill for. Or, or the two machete movies. Oh my God. Which have, I think, the, which are, like, all the, the problems of this movie cranked up to, a, like, just 
the nth degree where it's just like i am cramming every single dumb idea i've ever had into one into these movies yeah and, and just, this, like combined with just the movies looking increasingly bad like just like going from looking like it's set in a real dusty mexican town to like looking like it's set on a soundstage or a blue screen you go from el mariachi and desperado have really good those real good 80s and 90s squibs the real like raspberry preserves Uh, this one (laughs) everyone just sort of shoots sparks when they get shot and by the time you get to planet terror and mariachi it's just it feels like digital it's all digital yeah Yeah. i mean and i i think for me i i like planet terror a bit but i i i think planet terror and death proof only work really together as grindhouse like as an actual Mm -hmm. the two-part movie but um sorry double feature um but uh but again i think that that is sort of like the joke the fun of planet terror is that it's so over the top and so excessive and my problem with with machete is that it just feels like the excessiveness just becomes excessiveness to be excessive where it where it felt uh targeted and commute in a comedic fashion in planet terror yeah, it, it, you get the sense with Machete and Machete Kills that Robert Rodriguez may not be in on the joke anymore. Right, like, exactly. Like, Machete's fun as a, a Grindhouse trailer with Danny right. Trejo. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely you should make action movies with Danny Trejo as the lead. He's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Machete Kills is, I, I, like, I don't want to, I don't like to bag on anyone's movies because I, 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 it's you know how hard it is it takes it it takes it's like pulling teeth to get one episode of where's waldo written let alone made (laughs) uh you know it's but machete kills is one of the worst movies i've ever seen yeah it's it's, so it's just it is it it has nothing new to say comedically or as an action movie no one in it seems to like care it's uh it's not funny and it's not exciting and it looks terrible. It, it feels like one of those Jimmy Kimmel parodies he does after the Oscars. What's, what's interesting though, about Robert Arias now um, is his pivot to, well, what he does Alita with this big budget. I mean, he's basically doing a James Cameron riff and mm. I, I like Alita a lot. It doesn't feel like a Robert Rodriguez no. movie though. It's a little and, bit like, I think he kind of was a, a little bit more of a gun for hire for that, but yeah. he's a good director. Robert Rodriguez, yeah. if you gave him all the resources and you give him all the tools, he's going to make yeah. a good looking movie. And Alita yeah. is probably one of the best manga anime adaptations out of out of Hollywood, at least. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Real low bar, but, you know, <laughs> it's a fun movie. I like Ro- Rosa Salazar as the lead. The cast is good. It's got yeah. robot dog. It's got Jeff Fahey as a robot, with a bunch of robot as dogs. a robot cowboy with robot dogs. And you don't get nearly enough of that. You don't know. Do don't. not give me he, <laughs> the bad guy kills a little dog and Jeff Fahey. He's like, fuck this. And he sicks his robot dogs on him. It's the best part of the movie. I'm a you know me. My I, I just have written here in big letters, Moco and then a heart because I love I'm, I'm like, I don't want anything to happen to Mickey Rourke's little Chihuahua because you can tell he cares about him. He was yeah. buying him a taco. You can tell he's like, hey, boyo. And he points to Moco. He's like, get Moco some po- a Poyo taco. And I'm like, oh, he's a good guy. He he takes a bullet for Moco. That's right. He does. Oh, he does. yeah. No. Um, but but then but then Robert Rodriguez is, is now in the in the Star Wars world. And I mean, as much as, you know, 
Book of Boba Fett is, is sort of all over the place, like most Robert Rodriguez projects. The, the, the book of everyone but you, Boba Fett. <laughs> well, it was about Boba Fett until it wasn't, and then it was a different, and then it was uh, two episodes of a different show. <laughs> oh. oh my god. Why did they do that with Luke? Why? Oh boy, Just, I why? I hate CGI Luke. I hate CGI I, Luke. I I, I, I don't care for CGI Luke. I definitely don't care for like what's the acting equivalent of auto tune? Like it's <laughs> it's not. It's like we don't need Mark Hamill because this thing is <laughs> it's this the, thing has figured it out for us. It's the DJ two thousand from uh, from <laughs> from uh, uh, the Simpsons. Have you yeah. heard about those clowns in Washington? What a bunch of clowns! <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whose idea that was. I can't imagine it was Rodriguez's. I feel like that was probably no, John Favreau and and Filoni. I don't know. <laughs> I like Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni has done so much good for the Star Wars franchise, but it is. I'm worried that it is becoming like you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become George Lucas. <laughs> Oh my god! I like. I, I mean, I don't like the fact that Luke shows up in in Mandalorian. I don't like the fact that he shows up here, but the way that he shows up is just awful. No, and it's fine if you want to give everyone a little taste of Luke, or if you want to, you could have hinted at it more. It, it right. It looked weird. The effects look weird. But if that was the last time we were going to see Grogu, it was an effective moment because you knew that he was going off to be a Jedi. Unfortunately, as we know, uh, becoming a Jedi with Luke Skywalker after the fall of the Empire is not a good long-term <laughs> business model. Uh, so obviously fans want to make sure we know that Grogu's okay. So I think that's... You're listening to Podcast Part 3. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in Mexico, a movie that has nothing to do with Star Wars, except for the fact that Danny Trejo is now in both. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, we'll we'll punt the uh, Star Wars discussion to, to next week when we talk to about next week when, when we, we talk about week. Batman Forever. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's get back on track. As a part three, how does this how does this stack up? We're, we've done what is this episode eight now? Is that right? Something like that. Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, we've done well, three Halloween's. <laughs> you made me watch RoboCop three. I gave you the gift that was Dawn of the De- Day of the Dead. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's something like that. I, I, I mean, in terms of intent, I think it's a great idea for a part three. Yeah, go big, build your world out, give your character new types of characters to interact with. In terms of execution, it just it's it's it falls apart. It's, it, it's, I don't want to say it's on the level of RoboCop 3, but it's got a lot of the same problems as Halloween Kills, you know, where it's just like cul-de-sacs with characters that are either not very interesting or confusing or perhaps too interesting and more interesting (laughs) than more, the movie's more interested in them than they are in its lead. And the movie was marketed as like, uh, you know, the married couple action heroes, uh, sort of like the, the mom and dad and spy kids. And that's kind of what I wanted. I would have loved to see bickering El Mariachi and Carolina kicking ass together. I'm always, I yeah. always want like action movie, Nick and Nora Charles, 
But yeah, I mean, and because the promise of that opening scene where that she's throwing the knives and he's got the the shotgun guitar, like that is like so much fun. I haven't, you know, I'm sure they maybe they explain the commentary or in like interviews. I'm sure there is a reason why there's only like three minutes of Salma Hayek in this movie. Yeah. By the way, he does the same thing in Machete Kills. He kills Jessica Alba right at the beginning as well. That's right, he does. Yeah. It's been too long since I've seen it, and I didn't like that movie enough to remember any of it, but... Yeah, um... (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, if you're not going to let your character be the active driver of the story, you at least have to evolve them as a character. Give them a new dynamic to work in. This is just backsliding El Mariachi into kind of the dynamic of uh, Desperado, but not doing it as well as Desperado. I won't do this a lot, but I do want to pull out uh, Roger Ebert's review of this, which he actually liked the movie. He gave it three stars. Sure. Um, But uh, so uh, let's see. Rodriguez talks about how easy digital filmmaking makes it for him and the actors. No fussing over lights, no worrying about film costs, lots of freedom to try things different ways. Once upon a time in Mexico sometimes feels as if he's winging it. But you have to admit he has an instinctive, exuberant feel for moving images. I'm not sure a thoughtful and coherent story can lo- can be made using his methods, but maybe that's not what he's interested in doing. <laughs> sure, fine. I feel like Ebert's giving him a hell of an out there. Uh, I think so too. Like, no, I, I've seen like Robert Rodriguez. He's not Quentin Tarantino. I, he doesn't, he doesn't, I, I don't think he's ever really done anything that has, you know, the impact or, uh, the, just sort of the bravado of a Tarantino movie. Yeah. But he's, uh, like a fun genre screenwriter and director. And I think the problem is, I just don't think he is interested in, making his movies look better or getting back to basics. Cause he like, what was the last thing he did? We did the, the um, shark boy and lava girl sequel. Yeah. Well, I mean, was that the last thing? That was, was the that last before, movie he did before Alita or was that? That after was after. I think oh, that that's was like, right. Cause that was a Netflix. Yeah. That was just thing, last year. Right? Like Alita. Yeah. I, I almost feel like is, is an anomaly on there because Alita yeah. was in development for like ever. Ter- uh, yeah. Cameron was going to direct it. And then he got, uh, busy uh making you know avatar one through 17 or something (laughs) and and like robert rodriguez has produced a lot of stuff like he produced the predators uh sequel and it's like i think i think he just wants to be able to play with the stuff he likes to play with and he's not all that interested in changing changing up what he's doing as a filmmaker but i just don't think he's making anything he he's he's playing the hits, but I, I wish he played them better. It's it's he yeah, kind of feels or, like almost like a tribute band version of himself now. Yeah. Or yeah. Or or doing cover. Yeah. Just doing covers and sort of you want him to do you want him to branch out. You want him to have like a Fury Road or something like that. You want him to like really push himself as a filmmaker. Yeah. And he's also like he's not like George Miller or Sam Raimi where in between the sort of cult classics, he has like interesting kind of little movies, you know? Right. And he's all, but also he's more like George Lucas. He's really a lot more interested in the technology side of things and is sort of more, more intrigued about whether or not he can do it than anything story related or, or what that means in terms of the film he's making. It's like, well, what, you know, what can we do technology wise? How can I make this like, 
how can I make my shoot faster? How can I shoot this with only when an actor's only available for two days or, you know, however, you know, cause you read about the Sin City production and it, like half the time, most of those actors weren't on set with each other. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he made that work, at least in the first yeah. one. Uh, I mean, this isn't your fault, Will. We don't blame you. But I wanted to have more fun with this movie. I did too. I actually remembered it being better than it is. I remembered having a lot of fun with this. And I remember thinking it was overstuffed. But I remember being like, well, it's it's like food that you like overeat. You're kind of like, oh, that was too much. But I enjoyed it when it was going in. No, this kind of felt like when you make 12 bagel bites, but you don't cook them for long enough so they're still kind of cold in the middle but you still eat them because you're hungry <laughs> and you, you don't feel great and you've wasted a box of bagel bites yeah 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 it's funny i'm uh editing the matrix revolutions episode and we talked for 90 minutes about that so yeah we've got a lot to say clearly about once upon a time in mexico considering we just did a star wars sidetrack so you know, well so. whatever we, when we get to star wars <laughs> i can just edit all the conversations we've already had about star wars into an episode and be done with it <laughs> it's true. it's you know look we're all we're clearly we're 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 heading towards we have a destiny and it will be talking about those three Star Wars movies. The the, the Star Wars Part 3 trilogy. Yes, the, the Palpatine trilogy. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, and I don't know when we're going to get to that, because I feel like once we do that, we have to just end the podcast, because there'll be nothing <laughs> left to talk about. Uh, next week, uh, we're, uh, we're heading to Gotham City. We're heading to two yeah. very different... Well, first, we're heading to the Day Glow Candy Coated 1994 five sugar rush that is gotham city in batman forever hell yeah baby i wanna hit <laughs> it on a kiss from a rose on the gray oh i'm excited i am excited this movie was huge it was so big oh my god and it was the coolest thing to see when you were 10 years old. Yeah. I, like it was that summer. I was like, this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> like I can imagine a nine year old getting uh, a nine year old a few years ago, getting to see Spider-Man into the spider verse. That's like yeah. the good movie equivalent of what we uh, got when I was nine years old and I got Batman <laughs> forever. Yeah, exactly. Cause it was yeah. just like, it's a giant toy ad. It's a giant cartoon. Jim Carrey's here. He's going to fight the Batman. And Nicole Kidman just looking fantastic. Yeah. And, and you know, Ro- he's just... going to have Robin. Oh, he's going to have Two-Face. And they cast <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones, which should be brilliant casting. And it's not. <laughs> oh, and uh, oh, and then the week after that, we're heading to uh, Pittsburgh for uh, The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> Pittsburgh and downtown New York and L.A. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. It's, it's Pittsburgh, but with like a real obvious shot of the U.S. bank building at one point. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like, well, that's not in Gotham City. I saw them destroy that in Independence Day. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Dark Knight Rises. Talk about another movie where uh, that, that's another uh, everyone involved is just sort of dragging them, dragging themselves out of bed <laughs> to make the movie. Well, then what are we doing after that, Sam? It's your pick. Are you going to wait until Dark Knight Rises? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I, I think I know what I want to pick. I saw it streaming, and I, I'm going to think on it just because okay. 
uh, it's horror, and I, I I worry we've done too much horror. So mm-hmm. it might it, I'd see the, of my two choices, it's either going to be a horror movie or an action movie. Okay. Either way, right. it's going to be better than this. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, no. It's good that you're not going to pay me back for no. my, my my bad choices. Well, it, that's like paying us both back. I have to watch it and talk about it too, you know. <laughs> no, you'll you'll get it right eventually. Third time's the charm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, I will say if you haven't seen El Mariachi and if you haven't seen Desperado, those movies are a lot of fun. Uh, El Mariachi is really fun, super low budget, really stylish, early 90s action movie. And Desperado is... It's kind of the peak of uh, Robert Rodriguez. It's the movie that basically made Antonio Banderas a star. It's a fun, sexy, badass action movie. And if you like it and you want something that kind of feels a little bit like it, check out Once Upon a Time in Mexico. But it's uh, it is a sloppy baby. It is just yeah, it's all over the place. That's that's the only way to describe it. It's all over the place. But if you like sort of the style and characters and vibe particularly of Desperado, because this sort of carries over that more than El Mariachi, then I'd say it's worth watching. Both Desperado and uh, Once Upon a Time Mexico are on Netflix right now. So. Yes, they are. And uh, um, also, uh, we're big fans of From Dusk Till Dawn and uh, The Faculty. Fun movies. Absolutely check out The Faculty, because yeah. I think The Faculty is super underrated. Yeah, underrated movie. You've got uh, young Josh Hartnett. You've got uh, Elijah Wood, Jordana Brewster's in it, Clea Duvall's in it. Uh, and then, like, all the teachers at the school are are various stars, too. you got Robert Patrick. You've got uh, Salma Hayek's there, Famke Janssen. Uh, it's it's a fun movie. And John Stewart, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's yeah. like a young John Stewart shows up as the science teacher. Uh, Shooter McGavin's uh, Elijah Wood's dad. Uh, yeah. yeah, fun movie. Fun movie. A lot of fun. Very much of that Scream era of movies. But it's, it's yeah. Kevin Williamson's like, I want to do... Uh, my body snatchers in high school movie. Yeah. Well, on that note, I will say, Will, I will see you in Gotham City. In Gotham City. I am. Oh, I'm. Boy. I'm excited because this is going to so be, so be real dumb. It's going to be so and, dumb and and so fun. I haven't watched this movie in a long time. I'm really. I'm I watched really some of it like last it. year out of like pandemic boredom, and it's. I mean, it's as goofy as you remember. <laughs> I, I, it's not as bad as uh, Batman and Robin, but I don't know if that's to its benefit or its detriment. Like that, that's the, that's, that's where I've like, I landed on it. I'm like, I don't know if this would be better if it was dumber or if it was more competent. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that next week. We will. And, uh, until then everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. Thanks for following. We're on Twitter at podcast part three. That's the number three. Will, as always, a pleasure and a delight. Always. And this, this is great. Yeah. This is, a, this is always fun. And we, I will see you next week. That's right.